0: For Senex, it means everything. It means that we know if you take your coffee to go or if you like to stay a while. It means we've helped little leagues get jerseys and local festivals get funding. It means we know what our communities need. So you'll always leave Senex with a full tank, full of snacks or full of smiles, or all of the above. And that means the world to us. Senex, powered locally.
1: Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Eye Sports Podcasting Network. This episode of Bulls HQ is brought to you by It. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you to to all you joining me on this episode of the show. I've been away for a couple of weeks enjoying my holidays. Hopefully, you guys have too. Hopefully, you enjoyed your Christmas you know, and your, your holiday break and... Getting back into Bulls basketball, we had a few days off from our beloved Bull, but uh, we're back here. We're back with a win, and I'm glad to say I'm back with another show, joined by one of my good friends. He is the head of the Sea Red Army. You all know him by now. He's been on the podcast a million times. No need for any further introductions. He is Sea Red Fred, otherwise known as Fred Fifer. Fred, how are you, sir?
0: Mark, I'm living the dream. It's great to talk to you, brother. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa to all my friends out there. Uh, whatever you're celebrating, I hope you're living it well and uh, and being safe and enjoying the, the holidays. It's so good to talk to you, man. It's been a while. It's been far too long. And it's Likewise, definitely a brighter brighter lights in the sky. A shining red orb, to, uh, <laughs> a red orb. over Chicago.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, that, that happens when you destroy the Atlanta Hawks by 35 points. That was a pretty damn comprehensive win. And it was... It was always probably going to be a win, given that the Hawks were without Trey Young and even your boy Jabari Parker. It was it was always going to be a comfortable win for the Bulls, but it was good to see them not let up. They could have, I guess, taken the foot off the gas in that second half in in that second half particularly, but uh, that they, they let they didn't let up. They kept uh, they kept hold of that lead, thankfully, and they they absolutely crushed the Hawks, which was nice to see. I I, I kind of wish they could play the Hawks every game. They might actually be an eighth seed if if that were the case. <laughs>
0: How dare you? I, I think overall, this is. I think this is getting a little bit lost in in uh, in the joke and in Dogville Nation, you know, mantra <laughs> about that. We've beat nobody. The Bulls have played significantly better since right around, I'd say, December first. Right around as soon as December turned. You know, they, they, they beat Sacramento, they beat the Grizzlies, and then they had a tough loss against the Warriors. But you remember the Heat game they lost in overtime, the Raptors game they lost? Again, these are like one-possession losses. I think overall, outside of that Hornets game, uh, the team has played significantly better and been competitive in most games. And I, I'm definitely seeing progress. That's why I'm so darn excited, and I don't understand why it's not uh, – it doesn't seem to be uh, getting, getting to the rest of the fan base.
1: Well, I mean, it it depends on on what lens you want to apply, and I say that because if you look over the last sort of ten or so games, maybe in a little bit back further, they're hovering around a fifth a five hundred record. So, they from that standpoint, when you just sort of say that, they're pretty much playing up or living up to expectations to a degree from that standpoint. But then, when you sort of dig into where they sort of play game to game. It's sort of all over the place. Like, I go back to the last time they played the Hawks. They destroyed the Hawks that time, but then followed it up with that Hornets game that you referenced, an absolute terrible game. Horror, then or- the next yeah. night, they literally beat the Clippers, which was a good win. Their lone win against the 500 team this season, that was a good win. But then after that game, after a nice win, they somehow blow a 26-point lead against the Thunder and lose that game. So yeah. it's sort of all yeah. over the place. They, they beat the Wizards in overtime. That was a nice I guess twelve minutes, final twelve minutes that they played. They the first three quarters they, they weren't that good. So whilst their record over the last ten to twelve games, maybe even fifteen games, has been better, and they they certainly have been better. I don't think the I, I don't know I, I'm I don't know how sustainable this is because if you look at one game, they're all they're kind of all over the place. Consistency hasn't been hasn't been a thing for this Bulls team just yet.
0: Well, yeah, that's because consistency is not a hallmark of young teams. That's a fact that. Started at the beginning of time in in competitive sports, and especially in basketball, the Bulls have the second youngest. It's either second or third youngest team in the NBA, and those type of teams are not going to be consistent. So that's why you're going to see 132 points against the Hawks, and then in the very next on a Wednesday, and in the very next game they score 73 against Charlotte. It's it's frustrating. It, It causes anger, and I understand you know the frustration with the fan base, but you also have to look realistically at the team. A lot of these guys, few of these guys have played together, even though, you know, Laurie and and Levine have been here for a couple of years. Their their injuries, they've been so injured, and and so they really haven't had a lot of time to kind of develop a chemistry. A lot of new faces this year. I didn't expect them to to start out as bad as they did, but I did expect them to start out, you know, definitely – at a, at a at a poor end compared to how they're going to finish, so that's why I'm pretty excited about. And although you make a good point, the schedule is going to get a lot more difficult. I still think the team is starting to. We're absolutely seeing signs of, of, of greatness. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's greatness. greatness here, Mark. I I, Mate, I, I mean, know you skipped a few
1: steps. You skipped a few steps there. I mean, if you if you had gone to, <laughs> we, we're starting to see um, some average basketball being played, some 500 basketball being played, or something like that. You may have had me, but you skipped that step. You even skipped, you know, good and very good, and you went, you went straight to greatness. So I mean, typical c red Fred, I, I shouldn't expect any more, but I don't know. i I'm, I'm disappointed still, Fred, because i know they're 13 and 20 right now but even though even though this team is an experienced there they are one of the younger rosters in the team the, the schedule has been light on to the point where i still feel this team despite missing otto porter for a good chunk of this season they should at least be 500 right now and if they were and already and they would be in the playoffs if that were the case and would have been in that sort of position from uh from a long time ago i, I think that the the tone among the fan base would be completely different. And I think that is why people are annoyed because they know what's coming ahead with in terms of the schedule. And I, I don't know how it, how it gets easier from here. It doesn't, obviously, because given the schedule, the strength of the schedule is one of the hardest in the league going forward. So that's problematic. But I, I think they've sort of left it too late here, which is that's why the dis- disappointment exists.
0: Well, I, there's no doubt there should be frustration. I, I was very frustrated with the fact that you know they had a 26 point lead against Oklahoma City, who's who's a good team. They're 17 and 15 or above 500. I think they just beat Toronto on the road, and you blow that lead, you blow a 19 point lead against the Lakers, one of the best teams in the league, an 18 point lead against the Knicks, 10 point lead against Charlotte, 10 point lead against the Cavs. If you win just two or three of those games, then I think we're in a lot better position, and it's inexcusable yeah, yeah. that we lost those games. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those I put on our head coach. You know, maybe not the Oklahoma City game. Uh, I mean that there were other reasons they lost that game, but definitely against the Lakers, I, I pointed to Valentine and and Gafford and Gafford not being a part of the rotation. It's no coincidence that Gafford's entry into the rotation suddenly the Bulls seem to be playing a little bit better defensively. It's he's a, he's a he's a great rim defender. I think he's averaging like a block. He's leading the rookies in blocks, and he's only playing 11 minutes per game. The reason the Bulls are better defensively is because they have three two. Stellar defensive players of Wendell Cutter Jr. and Chris Dunn, who I think should get both should get consideration for. Uh, All-NBA defensive team. Maybe not Wendell Carter yet, but definitely Chris Dunn. And that's the reason why they're better defensively. It's because you have some players that can really play D on this team. Not only that, Sadoransky's top 15 in steals. He's not a terrible defender. Even uh, Levine is uh, top 20 in steals. They're very aggressive on the defensive end, and I think it's starting to be reflected in the the winning column, and it's definitely being reflected in defensive efficiency. But I would like to point out Doggable Nation. This is the difference between Doggable Nation and C-Red Nation. Let's point this out. I saw this tweet come out. I don't know who sent it. I know there's a couple members of Doggable Nation who jumped all over it. The Bulls defense is like fourth in efficiency. Yeah, I definitely jumped on this. I want to talk about this for sure. (laughs) Let's talk about it right now. (laughs) Let's Let's talk about it right now. So it's uh, But they've played nine teams, correct me if I'm wrong here, that are in the bottom ten in offensive efficiency. Is that correct? I, I think now? you're
1: referring to Mark Strotman's tweet, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. I, am I, I correct so. in saying that?
0: I think so. Yes, formerly of NBC Sports, Chicago yeah, yeah. Is Mark. Good, so great Mark guy. was basically
1: yeah. questioning the validity of the Bulls' defensive ranking, and I, I certainly side with him on this. And from this perspective, given that they have faced uh, some weaker offenses, let's say and that may be propelling their defensive rating, but I'll I'll let you continue. Go ahead.
0: Hold on a second. So, let's find a tweet just to make sure it's fair here. Uh, (laughs) Let's find Stratman's tweet. Do you have it in front of you? Can you read it? No, but while
1: you you find it, I'd like to point out, and this is how (laughs) comprehensive this Bulls win against the Hawks was yesterday. They moved from ninth in defensive rating prior to the game up all the way to fourth after the game. so that's how big of a <laughs> beat down that game was the Bulls jumped five places and they were actually 30th in offensive rating prior to that Hawks game and they jumped up to 27th as well so they basically played both sides of the ball that's how bad the Hawks are and how good the Bulls were in that specific game and it- enabled them to sort of jump up the way it did but I guess that was sort of a microcosm of the season in the sense that the, Haw- the Bulls have played the Hawks 3 times and they've smashed them all 3 times which has certainly helped sort of pump up those metrics to a degree. I think Jason Pat had a tweet the other day, Jason from um from Cash Considerations. He he mentioned that the Bulls are 8-0 and plus 142 against the Hawks, Pistons and Grizzlies seasons and then and then there's sort of 5 and 20 and a minus 157 against the rest of the NBA. So I think that's why this this upcoming schedule is interesting to me because I think it's going to pass out a lot of you know interesting takeaways as to where this Bulls team is at is have they improved or are they sort of just making are they getting it together enough here to sort of take advantage of a light schedule or or have they legitimately improved and how much does that sort of matter against the upcoming tough schedule they have I think that's going to be the interesting thing to take away over this this sort of January schedule but yeah, I think that their, their defensive numbers, at least, are certainly been inflated by the competition they've played through the first thirty odd games.
0: Okay, so suddenly the tweet's unavailable from Mark. That's I don't know. I don't know why, but it was. <laughs> I remember distinctly what it was. nine of nine, their uh, nine of their, uh, their thirty three games have been against a bottom ten offense, which led me to reply, of course, to get. I think the it was counter. thirteen.
1: It was thirteen, and you replied. How no, many no, were no, it was nine.
0: It was nine. It was nine.
1: Um, I think it was 13. Probably. All right. And well, yeah. let's
0: say it's 13. Let's say it's 13. <laughs> and he replied
1: and with 11 top 10 offenses. Is 11 that where you're top going? 10. Yes. Yeah, 11 top
0: go. 10. Which led me to a little bit further research. And you know what? Right. Oh, yeah. guess what? Lo what? and behold, the Bulls have played 53% of their games against top 12 defense offenses. Top 12. So that's 53%. It was very interesting how Detroit and Portland were left – five games versus those two teams who were 11 and 12 were left out of the list. But, you know, I digress. The fact of the matter is they played more than half their games against top 12 offenses, and yet based on that tweet, I'm supposed to believe the Bulls have been incredibly lucky. And being, I mean, it's just so ridiculous. It's like, come on, guys, let's be no, honest. Let's, let's no, look, the-
1: I, I think people are prepared to say the Bulls have been better on defense than most people thought. I certainly am happy to a- admit that as much. But uh, was anyone realistically <laughs> expecting them to be the fourth best defense in the NBA? Are they truly the fourth best defense in the NBA? No, I don't believe so. And no, I think we're going to find seven. out pretty soon, given that they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks uh, on Monday. They're the second best offense in the NBA. They've got a game coming up against the Mavericks uh, in a week's time where they're the best uh, offense in the NBA. They've got the Celtics in a couple of days as well. I think they're fourth or fifth on, on offense. And then they also have the Jazz too, who have been a little bit disappointing this season. They're only 18th on offense, but they have the ability to be better than that. So it'll be an interesting couple games coming up. And I think that'll be the true test of this Bulls defense.
0: I think you're probably right. I think they probably have the seventh best defense. How, how do you like that? Well, seven, I think both <laughs> Okay, right. right. So it goes <laughs> along with my seven mantra. Well, no, the right, bigger right. the problem with this team has been their offense. That's been the issue from day one, and. And I think there's warning signs that that's changing. I mean, or, or happy signs that that's changing quickly. in started out the year unable to hit an open jumper for some reason, and his stats over the last three months have gone up considerably. I think I saw one, that he's shooting over 40% from three this month of December, which is everything. It's huge. And not only that, Wendell Carter Jr., who I'd pretty much given up for lost, he's this is a guy who I watch religiously at Duke who I was very impressed with, I thought, had a a very high shooting ceiling. And for the life of me, I couldn't understand why the Bulls had relegated him to some kind of, hey, let's set a pick and then run in the – it's unbelievable how poorly I thought they utilized his considerable offensive skills as a passer and shooter. And suddenly, he's shooting threes like he should have been doing all year. And I almost drove off the road in a pregame show the other day when Boylan said we want him shooting threes. And, you know – I've, no one's been more critical of Jim Boylan than me, but when he stops doing things that piss me off, eventually i got to say, well, I'm feeling a little bit better about him. And when I heard him say that, that's like one of my biggest pet peeves is why is Wendell Carter Jr. not shooting the ball more? Why does he not even look at the basket often? And I think if, that's, if they realize that if he can hit threes at a greater percentage, my God, the Bulls will have a four and a five. They're going to pull guys out at you know, 25 feet, and that's going to make Zach Levine better. It's going to make every player on the team better. That's been the biggest problem, I think, is, you know, a lot of teams that weren't even looking at Wendell Carter Jr., and, and there's always a center then right near the rim not coming out to guard Wendell, and it's just it, – it's hurt – I think it's hurt Levine in some games, and it's not only hurt him but the other players, Sato, et cetera. So this is a great development for the Bulls, and it's it's key because I've always felt that they had this ability at the 4-5, and five, and these two are could be rock-solid tandem for the next 10 years. But, you know, they haven't developed, but now we're starting to see signs that things are getting better.
1: Hopefully. I mean, it's a small sample. Obviously, it's only one game with Wendell hitting the two threes against the Hawks. I mean, that was definitely the most encouraging thing to come out of this game. I mean, when you beat down a team that is missing their best player and you win so comfortably, it's hard to necessarily take too much away from such a comprehensive win. But Wendell hitting his threes was was certainly that. It was only his second game where he had multiple three-point makes, so... That was certainly encouraging. I wrote about it afterwards on bloggable, given that I, obviously I'm a big Wendell fan and it was nice to see, but it was also frustrating to see because we saw him do that exact same thing in his eighth game of his career where he hit two threes. But I don't know what happened between his eighth game in his career to, you know, we're into 33 games into this season, in, in, into his sophomore season. I, I don't know what happened in between. And I, I noted in that in that bloggable, uh, bloggable post that under Hoiberg, Wendell Carter was shooting one three a game and that's not huge numbers but it's it's something there's 24 threes in 24 games but under Boylan it sort of went from 24 threes in 24 games to eight threes in 20 games last season and then he's been shooting only prior to yesterday he only had taken 19 threes in 32 games so it would seem that he's been told to put away the three but now it seems like he's been told he's a, a he's allowed to shoot the three for whatever reason so hopefully hopefully that happens but I want to talk about Mark and and he has been certainly better in December. I I'm not going to suggest anything else apart from that he you know it's it's it I mean given how bad he was in October and November I think anything that is remotely positive is obviously a good thing to see but has he really been anywhere where we expected him to be. I mean, he's averaging 17 points or 17.6 points, I think it is, and 6.2 rebounds in December. His shooting splits are nice, 50% from the field, 40% from three, 85% from the free throw line. So that is certainly healthy, but only 17.6 rebounds. Is is that enough for us to really truly believe in marketing being back, given those numbers are, are barely back to his career numbers?
0: No. No, he's been the biggest disappointment to me by far on the team so far. And I I don't know what – I think it all just, as I said before, it comes down to he missed far too many wide-open jumpers. I don't think the Bulls – I think he's a player that you need to have set plays for. The Bulls kind of run, or at least for the vast majority of the season, basically are running this communist offense where everybody has a chance to to do something. But, again, he's been more relegated to, like, a a three-point shooter, which is – that's – True, that's his probably his best feature as a big man who could stretch the floor. But I, I've always felt he could do a lot more. I like him off the dribble. I think he's—I I do like his moves off the dribble, and I do think they, the Bulls should take advantage of him in the post when he gets off of a matchup where that he can take advantage of, where there's a you know a lot more pick and pop with with Levine. I don't think they did enough of that. I, I don't nah. understand the reasons why they're so against using him on a pick and roll or pick and pop with Levine. They didn't do that enough. But he's played to me considerably better in December. So I, I, I kept on saying I, I still f- could not believe that this was the same guy who in February, you know, was at like a twenty-four-twelve or whatever. Who's, you know, so I, I refuse to believe that he suddenly turned into, you know, a rich man's Cameron Bear style. I, I believe in Laurie Mark, and I know he has the talent. But th- what he doesn't have is that selfishness you kind of need to have as a superstar. That hey, I am badass and get me the ball and I'm going to demand a certain amount of shots per game. He doesn't have that at all, and so he's not an, an alpha. I, I thought he had top ten ability. I've kind of come around on that that he's probably more of a top twenty five guy, maybe a beta or C type player, uh, but he's still a valuable player for this team. And you know, but he's not going to be the the A guy. But it, I think we always forget he's 22 years old though. Too you know, it's not something that you learn overnight. I'm. I just think it's just to me the biggest, most frustrating thing about him is is, is how he's just disappeared in some of these games, and I, I put a lot of that on coaching. Sometimes, for you got to realize, well, Laurie needs to. You need to call plays for him, and you need to make sure he gets the ball. And they're fine with him just being kind of like relegated to bystander in the offense.
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird situation because. I mean, I understand why he's not involved in pick and roll with Zach Levine because he is probably your best shooter apart from Levine. So so you want him spacing the floor to create that lane. So because of that, he's often going to be the guy sort of on the weak side corner or the weak side flank, and he's often going to be the one sort of drawing that space. So I get that, and I get why they use Carter as predominantly the screener to have him roll for Levine in in that sense, even though I'd probably prefer to see Carter start popping a little bit more. So... I get why that is happening and if you want to have a sort of four or five out offense, it makes sense to have, I guess, at at times at least, uh, marketing away from Levine. But yeah, I would definitely like to see that more. But at the same time, whilst his offense has been better, I certainly agree with you that the Bulls need to be better at running stuff for him. Uh, that doesn't explain his weak rebounding that we're seeing this season, only six rebounds in December. I mean, like I said, 17.6 rebounds, they're, they're small forward third option numbers that he's been putting up this season. So whilst he certainly has been better in December, given how bad he was in October and November, I mean, they're Otto Porter numbers that he's putting up. So I, I want to see more from Laren. I'm I'm still I'm still disappointed. I, I I need to see an extended period with him getting sort of 20s, 20s and 10s consistently and I think if he can do that over January and February, particularly against a stronger competition, then maybe my faith will be restored somewhat. But, um, at the moment, I'm, um, yeah, I, I'm still, I don't know what the right word is, but I'm, I'm still cautious with, with, with Larry as to what his, what his ceiling ultimately will be. I guess I've been sailed a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more about marketing, but, um, we'll come back and do that. But first, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck it, The original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50 plus fit combinations, Untuck shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can pick your favorite Untuck style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And best of all, their website is super easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your right fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck it is the way to go visit untucker.com and use code blue for 20% off at checkout that's u n t u c k i t.com and promo code blue for 20% off All right, back to the podcast now, and back to a conversation about Larry Markin. and Fred. This is something I was thinking about the other day, and and I, I don't know why I thought of it. Maybe it came, I, I, maybe I started thinking about it after the fact that the Bulls have played the, the the Orlando Magic and the Atlanta Hawks, two teams with two interesting forward prospects in Jonathan Isaac and John Collins, and you know I'm, I'm a, uh, a closet Miami Heat fan too, Fred. But I want to ask you this question: Do you think that Players like John Isaac, Bam Adebayo, and John Collins have gone past Larry Markinon as prospects this season.
0: No way. You don't think I, so? I like Isaac's defense a lot. I mean, he's a fantastic defender. But he, none of those players, I don't even, not, even Collins, who's an excellent offensive player, I don't think any of those guys have a higher ceiling than than uh, on the offensive end. Maybe uh, Bam Adebayo. I mean, he's kind of a different player, though. You know, Mark, I, I wouldn't put him in the same. Kind of class. He's more of like a center as opposed to a power forward that Markkinen is. Well, he's playing the four question. for the
1: Heat this year. I, look, I, I, I'm not. I don't necessarily mean just offensively. I just mean as a complete prospect. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have Markkinen over those guys? Where does he sit in that four man group? Because uh, to me, I think I would have had a probably a different answer prior to the season than than what I do now. I guess.
0: I guess you're right. You know, in retrospect, now that you mention it, I'd put Markkinen second behind Bam. And then I'd, I'd probably have uh, Isaac third and Collins fourth. Collins, to me, just defensively, he's not. He does. He's nowhere. He's nowhere near where he needs to be. And I know Collins had a nice game yesterday against the Bulls, but I still think that marketing has got a much higher ceiling and the shooting is. His shooting is so good. It's such a it's such a great trait to have in today's NBA. I still believe in him big picture. But, you know, the biggest problem to me with Mark, and he's just not, he's been so soft this year. I, I, I kind of felt like in the first two years, I didn't see that at all. I thought he was a pretty tough player. I saw a lot of great signs with him being aggressive, making those tough rebounds. And this year, there's been so many times where i said, man, that was weak. You know, and I, I've i had that, I've said that like more times in, in these Two months than I did in his previous two years. And that's where I've been so frustrated with marketing. That's a good question, though. I, you know, probably Bam. He's, I'd probably go him one. Um, but then again, Bam doesn't have the shooting ceiling that, that these other guys do. And either is, either is Isaac. Isaac is really great defender, though. That's a great yeah. question. All right, well, yeah. So how would you rank it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it ultimately comes down to, you know, in terms of how they fit on a specific team, it ultimately depends on the other players on the roster. But if we're just talking about single guys that I just, I'm interested in building around, I, I definitely take Bam number one because what Bam is right now, and I think Bam is going to be an all-star this season. I think that's ultimately what, or at least what I hope Wendell Carter can be. So I like Bam. i add a buyer a lot. I think he's definitely the best of that group. But I think John Isaac, I have more faith in him turning his offensive game around than I do marketing and becoming a more complete, well. I won't say defensive player, but maybe just an all-round player. So I think I have more faith in Isaac in that sense. And then it just comes down to Don Collins versus Larry Markman to me. And I think that maybe is a bit of a wash, given that Collins has basically missed most of this season as well, given he was uh, out for 25 games with that PED sort of uh, issue that he had. So I think that is could go either way. So I'm probably having third or fourth, depending on my mood, I suppose. But I, I definitely have Adebayo and, and Isaac ahead of him.
0: Yeah, Adebayo still is shooting. I, I I can't recall. I don't have it in front of me, but I I don't ever recall seeing him hit a three. I don't think he has any any any, any shooting ability whatsoever. I don't think he's a great free throw shooter either. Either from what I recall, um, yeah, I think not... Steve is, is is you know elite man. That guy is a great defender. But again, same, similar feelings about him on the offensive end. Um, I just think if, if Markin could ever get to forty percent from three, he's good enough defensively that big picture overall that is going to be such a valuable asset that i would put him you know on the higher end than any of those guys
1: yeah i mean look we'll be tracking all those players throughout their careers they're all in part of the 2017 draft they're all play similar positions they're all obviously very different players but uh it'll be interesting to see how they sort of all materialize and fulfill their uh their basketball destiny over the next few years but yeah, like I said, from this from prior to this season I probably would have had a different order. It's obviously changed quite a bit, get yeah, based on how things have played out, but maybe it changes again as as we move forward. But
0: what, do you got Bam stats in front of you? I'm curious.
1: I do have his stats this season, so he's averaging fifteen points, ten rebounds, and basically five assists whilst playing some um elite defense.
0: How about shooting a three? What's he Uh at? he's
1: a very bad three point shooter and a seventy th- percent free throw shooter, so he's certainly not the offensive player that, that uh, Larry is in terms of a finisher uh, from distance at least, but uh, in terms of playmaking and creating, I think that sort of certainly makes up for it as we, as uh, oh, at least in my mind,
0: w- much better. You're right. Bam's way better than uh Larry. So a yeah, great question though. I'm curious to see how, the, how your listeners would vote on that. Yeah. I, th- let us I hope know. Collins would be fourth out of all those guys.
1: Yeah, well, look, like I said, we'll, we'll see how it all plays out, but it, it's an interesting thing to think about, and like I said, I don't know why I thought about it the other day, but uh, something to monitor as we go forward, but I'll, I wanted to go back to the defense just just a bit here, because like I mentioned, they're, they're playing some pretty elite offenses coming up, that'll be the true test of where this defense really sits, and maybe the offense too, but I'll, I was... I guess the reason why I still don't believe in this defense is because I I just don't believe in the scheme in the sense that the Bulls are bottom five in terms of allowing shots in the rim. They're bottom five in terms of letting uh, the amount of threes they let or give up from the corners. So you don't want to keep giving shots up at the rim and you certainly don't want to be giving away threes from the corners. But this Bulls offense does that. It, it, for whatever reason, doesn't want the defense taking mid-range shots. So... I would kind of want the, the defense to be giving up mid-range shots instead of those corner threes or those shots at the rim. So that that reason is why I still have problems with this defense and that's why I'm not a, a real believer of it. But I, I don't know, do you, do you think despite those numbers, um, are you more in belief that them ranking fourth or seventh or whatever it ends up being is more of a testament as to how good they are defense, as to what their shot profile they're giving up?
0: Yeah, because I, I I believe it's it's always the players a lot more than a scheme, and when you look at let's look at their perimeter defenders. You know, I can't say enough about Chris Dunn. In like a ten day period, he held Jimmy Butler I think to something around four or three or fourteen shooting. A few days later, they played the Atlanta Hawks. He held Trey Young three or fourteen shootings. Let's just stop right there. Two completely different offensive players, both excellent offensive players. Jimmy Butler, you know was what six seven, two twenty, and then Trey Young was what six foot, you know, one eighty. Um and you and you do a job like that on defensively and then later on against the Clippers, he Paul George at the end of the game, he's on Paul George and just uh then he's on Chris Paul a few days after that. When you have a def- an elite defender like that, you're gonna be able to play any team in the league. Uh and and, and have an opportunity to win because you got a guy that can is literally in the top I'd say seven, six, five. I think he's a top five perimeter defender in the NBA this year. That's how good Chris Dunn has been. It just blows my mind how good he was. Go to that Oklahoma City game. Chris Paul did absolutely nothing when he was one on one uh on on Dunn. He had to you know, go through several picks. And don't get me wrong, Chris Paul was awesome in that game, but he did his damage against other players. It was either on a pick-and-roll where the bull switch, and then he would destroy the big man, or when he had the coach's son on him and scored, you know, <laughs> point after point. But he didn't do anything, very little against Chris Dunn. So when you have a, a, a player of that skill level defensively, and then you have a guy on the interior, like Wendell Carter Jr., I think is just extremely underrated as a defender. Um, you're going to be good. It's, it's it's impossible not to be. Uh, so I I think it's you know scheme no matter no no matter how bad the scheme is. And I, I hear you say this, and and I I think you make a great point I, I, earlier in the year. But haven't you seen the Bulls at least show some flexibility in that? I've seen some games where they've switched a little more. I've seen games where they switched up the defense where they're not you know aggressively trapping all the time on a pick and roll and and getting caught in those positions I I don't think it's I I think there's been a little bit more flexibility on the defensive side than I saw earlier in the year and agreed it's still problematic but um you know I think they are trying to do some some things differently do you, do you disagree
1: No I, I don't disagree specifically I think I think they're still running the same scheme but maybe not being as ultra aggressive as they were initially and and, and the players that I mean, what, what Boylan is asking Wendell Carter to do is kind of insane for a second-year center, but Carter is doing a fantastic job of it thus far. You know, he's guarding all the way out to the perimeter then having to run back and guard the rim. I mean, that is an enormous task. And the problem early on was the people that were sort of meant to rotate and help him out in the, on the backside, they weren't rotating quick enough. And those rotations have, have been better. So that, I think, is where the Bulls have been um, somewhat better in this scheme. But I, I still I still don't like the shot profile that they give up. And I, and I think against better teams teams that's where it becomes problematic to a degree so that's why I'm wondering I guess but I want to talk about Chris Dunn now that you mentioned him actually I wasn't planning on doing it but he's been damn good this season he's probably been the best probably has been the best storyline for this season and it's sort of come out of nowhere I think most people were out on him it sort of seemed like the Bulls front office were definitely out on Chris Dunn but I want to talk about Chris Dunn and I want to sort of loop that into a wider conversation about the what the Bulls will be doing. I guess come come the trade deadline because there was reports sort of surfacing today that that the Clippers are interested in Thad Young potentially trading for Thad Young. Obviously, Chris Dunn is in the final year of his rookie deal. Do the Bulls keep him beyond the beyond the trade deadline? Do they try to shop him for some sort of value before potentially losing him in free agency for nothing? Then you've got Otto Porter who isn't back healthy and uh, per sh- uh, uh, shams until February. So do they even think about or consider trading Otto Porter? Can they even do so given that he's been out so long? So it's it's an interesting situation as to what the Bulls will be doing around the deadline, specifically with Dunn, Thad Young, and maybe even Otto Porter as well. So where do you stand on all those couple things?
0: Well, that's a tough one because uh, I'm not in favor of trading Chris Dunn. You know, I know I was one of the few guys this this summer who didn't understand in a city that allegedly loves defenders and talks – you know continually repeats the mantra to defense wins championships I thought he was an absolute elite defender that you know he had a he had a rough year last year he was started year injured he had a kid and all the changes that go along with that and he just didn't play well you know for whatever he had some nice moments I was at a game where they were home against Indiana he had seventeen assists I, I I felt like he finished really strong but nobody was really paying attention at that point I just didn't understand the idea of giving that guy away for nothing and he's Absolutely. I've heard you kind of throw this out there that Pax didn't like him either. And that's not true. That's not a true statement. That's not entirely true. He challenged him by acquiring another point guard. But in almost every interview, Paxson said, Chris Dunn is a part of our future. And he always said very positive things. And if you go back to his statements at the. At the, uh, when camp started, he also specifically mentioned how Chris Dunn has embraced his role. And I think the Bulls kind of put him in position to succeed by not just handing him the, the starting, starting point guard position, actually presenting some alternatives. And Chris Dunn rose at the occasion. And I think that's good for some players. You need to have that. Um, and and, and he, he responded, but he's really, to me now, he's played so well that I have no doubt that he's a starting point guard in the NBA. I think too many Bulls fans just want to relegate him to, well, he's a backup. He's one of the better backups. You don't think the Orlando Magic would would die to have Chris Dunn as their starting point guard right now? I mean, there's a lot of teams that could do far, far worse than Chris Dunn. You know, so... I mean, I think you can get a lot for him. Like, I think right now if you're a team that's really close and you're contending, you know, let's just, just throw out the Sixers out there. You know, having another perimeter defender to throw up, throw out there against some of the better teams in the East, um, I would give away a late first-rounder for him. I'd do it absolutely if I were the, the um, Milwaukee Bucks. So I think you could probably get a late first round pick, like a you know for one of the contending teams for him. I'm just not sure I want to do that because I don't think you're going to find anybody better than Chris Dunn or more impactful in winning when we're ready to win than him. Uh, and I think our defense would absolutely tank without him. I think we would you know struggle, not struggle, but we would fall from you know top ten to probably around sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, somewhere around there. That's how impactful I think he is on a defensive end.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's he's he's been incredible defensively. And I, I think in p- part of that has certainly been because he's been in a lesser role and the fact that he hasn't necessarily had to be the starting point guard and ha- doesn't have to go out there and play 30, 35 minutes and run the offense. I think he can just sort of concentrate on his defensive matchup and just be a ball hawk and go hard for 20, 25 minutes and not necessarily care or worry that much about his foul situation. So I think that's certainly... Has helped, So that's why I see him as a backup guard because I think it allows him to be the best version of himself rather than sort of having him as as a starter and running the offense type thing where he has to focus on a bunch of other things apart from just guarding his man as well. And one of them being keeping his fouls down so he can stay on the court, which is obviously a problem for the Bulls in the first couple of rebuilding seasons when they when we went away from Chris Dunn because of foul situations when you're throwing in Jerry and Grant or Cameron Payne or something like that his absence really hurt the team so we haven't had to worry about that and I think that's why Dunn has been so effective in this role and and I think that's why his best role is that sixth or seventh guy uh,
0: yeah but you on the say team. that but his his all these all this great play that he's had for the most part, has been as a starter. He was starting when he held Jimmy Butler and Trey Young and Paul George and Chris Paul over a 10-day period to, you know, Subpar games when he was on him, right? Obviously, Chris Paul really exploded in the second half, but he wasn't on him for most of those plays. I mean, yeah, I, I mean I, I d- that's definitely true. A- but
1: I mean, he's still effectively playing the same role. He's not being asked or tasked with being the uh, the point guard out there because he's playing with Saturans. He's playing with Zach Levine, so he still yeah. doesn't have to focus on that necessarily, but. I mean, are you going to find that similar role in another team? If he was to go to a, a cap space team in the, in free agency of 2020, does he, does he get that luxury of being that third guy or that third creator on offense were behind a Zach Levine or a Saturansky type player and, and could just focus on his defense? I, I don't know. So I think it's more likely that he's a backup guy. I, I probably, I probably agree with you that I probably wouldn't trade him because I don't know if most teams would want to trade for Dunn given that he is a, he is a guy that can be had in free agency, particularly I think even contending teams, they can sort of snap him up pretty quickly with uh, their mid-level exception. Obviously, cap space teams would go after him as well. So I don't think there's going to be a yeah, but he's a, a, he's a restricted free agent next year. He is, but if they pay, if someone offers him a three-year 25, three-year $27 million deal, the Bulls matching that after sort of signing Sadoransky, after drafting Kobe White, potentially drafting another guy in the draft. I mean, do they do that? I think you got
0: to seriously consider that. You know, why? Why would you not? I mean, nine million a year for Chris Dunn to me is worth it.
1: Maybe, maybe it is. I I don't know what the answer is. It ultimately probably depends on where the team finishes at uh, at the end of the season. Obviously, if it's uh, a bad end to the season where we have to consider a whole bunch of options, then maybe we're uh, we're thinking about maybe not re-signing me. I, I guess it's a fluid situation for me with Chris Dunn. But I think the more interesting one is probably or most certainly Thad Young and whether the Bulls want to deal with him want to deal him or trade him obviously Cowley sort of reported a month ago now that he wasn't happy with his role or whatever it may be he wasn't happy with the minutes he was getting we've, we've heard that uh, from today I believe I can't remember who reported it but uh, that the Clippers are interested in getting in on Thad Young do you think the Bulls should be selling Thad Young at the deadline
0: yeah yeah, I do I, I, I was I very excited about his uh, acquisition uh, you know I think he was was perfect for the team but he's been a Big disappointment to me this year. He's playing nowhere near as good as he did for Indiana. A lot of that's I'm sure on the Chicago Bulls coaching staff, but a lot of it's also on Dad Young. I haven't really been impressed with him at all, especially on the offensive end. For a lot of these games, he had far too many, you know, one to ten nights, or where he's done absolutely nothing, uh, and had you know, I've been really disappointed. I'm sure he's been great in the locker room. I'm sure he's the exact. I I just still kind of confused as to why this signing did not work out, but he's shooting sub fifty forty percent from the field, you know thirty two point four percent from three, um, and you know I, the Bulls also have kind of relegated him to like a three point. He takes way too many three pointers. He's he's in that kind of status where his strengths are really not geared towards this offense. Uh, I think the Bulls could trade him and and not really suffer at all uh and move him you know pretty quickly and hopefully get a nice piece for him I don't know what he's going to garner though. like I'm not a big believer in just trading Thad, Thad Young for a second round pick if you can get like a late first round pick to a contender let's do it but um you know the second round pick nonsense forget that is that what you're is that what you're looking for If if, if the Clippers offer a second round pick are you jumping on that
1: no, I wouldn't be quick to jump on it, but I would be interested. I definitely would want their late first because that is what it would be. It would yeah. be, be a 24th pick, 25th pick, something like that, something you can throw throw against the wall at the draft and hopefully find a player late in the drafts, a role player of sorts. That would would be ideally what I want. And obviously, to make salaries work, you'd have to trade for Mo Harkless, who is a player I've always liked. I think he could be a nice wing option for the Bulls, at least for the remainder of the season. Who knows beyond that? But Whether you can get Harkless in a late first for Thad, I I don't know if the Clippers would be interested in that. Maybe they would, maybe they won't, but that's kind of the deal that I would be definitely liking to entertain. But I think I think trading Thad does make sense for the reasons that you noted. He has been somewhat disappointing, and I think part of that is certainly on the Bulls. They're, They're just asking him to do too much in that second unit because... That second unit relies so much on Kobe White that they don't really have another ball, another ball handler, particularly with Chris Dunn being in that starting unit now. So Thad is just dribbling way too much, and part of that is on him, but part of that is on the offense needed him to do that. And, he, and he's not that player. He's just a junk hustle type player that makes his offense by creating his own offense in that sense. He's not a passing type player or a, a dribble penetration type guy, but he's often doing that with the Bulls. And that's why he turns it over a bit. That's why he's making some bad decisions and sort of just driving and throwing the ball up at the rim and, no wonder his field goal percentage is sort of created this season. So it hasn't worked with that. I think they should definitely be exploring exploring the trade market. And I think again, how they sort of handle this schedule will determine what they do at the deadline. Whether they're buyers, whether they're sellers, or whatever they may they may do. But obviously the Otto Porter situation will play into that as well. Given that he's not coming back until February at least, which is Possibly after the trade after the trade period, so or with the when the deadline sort of ends. So I don't know what's gonna happen with Porter as well. So maybe that makes more sense to why you'd wanna trade someone like Thad for a Moharkus because you can have that sort of small forward option to Well, I don't think you have a choice with
0: Porter. Like, it, he's not going to come back. Who's going to give you anything for Otto Porter? Right well,
1: now? no, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to trade him, but if you're going to be that long without a starting small forward, maybe that makes you more inclined to trade Thad Young to get in someone like Mohawk to sort of fill in some small forward, even some power forward minutes.
0: Yeah, I, that, Porter to me, you mentioned Porter, though. I think he's a key part of this because if Porter's healthy, you, you can trade Thad Young immediately, and then you just slide Porter over, give him some minutes at the four. Hopefully Hutch will be back by then too. You can come back to the three, you got all your problems solved. But right now you're kinda you're a little bit light where with the two injuries at the three that, you know, I think that you kinda do need Dad Young for as long as possible. But I, I have no hesitations about trading him at the trade deadline, you know, and hopefully getting a high bid for him. Because he still is a good player, and I still think he'll be re-energized for a winning team. Yeah. I think he's just – I think that's partly been the problem, is the Bulls have been so disappointing with the record. I think if we were, you know, closer to five we we'd all be talking much – we'd all be more excited, and, and Thad would be too about being a part of this this organization, but – just hasn't worked out. It just, another thing, he's 60% free throw shooter. Like, really? I mean, that sucks. Like I, I, it's everything about, he's it, like the exact opposite, of what I expected, I watched him a ton in Indiana, especially in the defensive end. I don't think he's been really as, nearly as good as he was for Indiana. Um, and in, and then also, of course, you know, when he complains about his minutes, now he's playing too much. He's taking away time for marketing and needs to be developing. You know, Boylan can't handle that either. It's just – so it's beyond frustrating. So I think you do have to move him at the trade deadline. I think you will get something for him.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think he's, he's still got value. I think he makes sense for a contender more so than a, a, re, a rebuilding team. It was obviously a good signing at the time. It hasn't worked out. It, you know, that happens sometimes, bad luck. But uh, I think – just admit that it hasn't worked, move on potentially and potentially, especially as well, if the Bulls go poorly over this January schedule and, you know, instead of being seven games under the, under 500, like they currently are, maybe that 13, 12, 13 games under 500. Then at that point, you're even more inclined to move that. And it probably makes sense for him as well. So, I think this schedule is obviously going to sort of play itself out in terms of where this team is positioning itself, where it's sort of or how they're handling it from a development standpoint, but I think it'll also determine what they do come trade deadline as well. But just some interesting developments, I guess with Thad Young, probably more so from a Clippers perspective as to what they're targeting more so than Bulls shopping him, but I think the Bulls should be trying to get in on that if they can. But uh that pretty much brings us to the end of this show, Fred. We've covered most things. Bulls they've got the Bucks coming up tomorrow as we sort of alluded to the schedule gets a lot harder from here on out. We'll see how it plays out. But um in the interim, mate, I appreciate you coming on to uh talk bulls with me and hopefully uh you've enjoyed your twenty nineteen and hopefully there's uh some more wins around the corner in twenty twenty for our bulls.
0: Well I think they are. I, I feel I'm really c i am really I know you're 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 starting the schedule Mantra and I, it's definitely <laughs> getting harder. But look like the next three games, the Bulls are playing the, the Bucks at home, the Jazz at home and the Celtics at home. The Jazz are under 500 on the road. Like, I will be extremely disappointed if we don't at least win one of those games. And I think it's possible we could win two of them. And then, you know, we got the Mavs, then we got the Pelicans on the road, the Pacers, the Pistons, the Celtics, the Wizards. Like, I want the Bulls to go 3-7 and seven over the next seven games at least, or maybe 4-3, and three, and I don't think that's too impossible. Uh, you know, I really think the the team is starting to gel now, get better. And, and you know, I agree, yeah, it's, the schedule's getting harder, but the Bulls are getting better too. And so we should start expecting to see some uh, commensurate wins and the team, uh, the talent starting to be reflected in the record at least being 500 over the next, you know, 10 or 10 or 20 games. What say well, you?
1: Well, we'll find out, mate. We'll find out, and that's what uh that's what makes this in- this January period so so interesting to me. I mean, the the opening couple of months was uh was nauseating because they're losing games that they shouldn't have, but uh, I think they do now have an opportunity to show us something particularly against some actual competition, so you know, credit to them if they can get it done, then I'm more than happy to change my change my tune on the on the whole matter, but uh I think the next sort of two to three weeks will ultimately determine a lot of things for this team going forward. So it it's gonna be interesting nonetheless, but uh we'll see how it plays out. But
0: you think they're a playoff team?
1: No. <laughs> no, I don't think they're a playoff
0: team. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey I got one big announcement. What's that? All right tomorrow, Hot yeah. Mike, I'm doing my first game ever on Hot Mike. You know what that really? is? Hot Mike IO? So, everybody, download HotMic.io, put in the, the code word CREDFRED, no spaces, and you can listen to me during the game. Wow, it's, I couldn't think of anything insightful, more insightful, <laughs> insightful commentary. How dare you? <laughs> insightful commentary. In fact, I'm trying to get these guys to do a game where you can be my... Uh, co-host for a wow. Game. I mean, so can I'm, I can I do
1: I have to watch via a mobile? Can I do it via computer? What are my options here? Yeah, you, it.
0: yeah, absolutely. You do it. Well, you get you get no. You get the uh the app. Get the yeah. app on your iPhone or your your Android, and you listen to it. Or you, you could see me and also, but primarily you listen to it. I'm going to be broadcasting for my my uh palatial family room <laughs> with Coach Ted. I, I'm going to have a co. Somebody to do it with me every game. So Coach Ted is the – you know, I, I'm a, I coach fifth-grade boys basketball. He's the head coach for the my son's travel team, and he's my assistant for the grade school team. So we work together a lot. Very knowledgeable coach. Um, so he's going to join me on the first one. I'm going to have Doug Tonis. I'm going to line up Doug, some other famous uh, people, hopefully uh, surprises. But I'd love to get you on one. I just got – I don't know if they can do it uh, technologically. Um, But wouldn't that be something we did it together? How great would that be where you'd be able to hear all my knowledge and, insightful comments, and then you could respond to them.
1: Well, it'd be fantastic. I mean, I'm sure they can technologically do that, whether you have the ability to take on board <laughs> what they say and <laughs> make it happen. Uh, that's probably what I'd question more. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe we'll, we'll see how you go. We'll see what your ratings are. Maybe maybe at that point, I'll, I'll, I'll make my decision. If you're they, only getting like 10 people tuning in, and it's probably not worth my time, to be honest with you. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being... I'm being facetious. I'd love to be part of it, Fred, and I can't wait to uh, can't wait to see it happen. I'm definitely tuning in tomorrow then, for sure.
0: Well, thank you, because there are great things on the horizon for this Bulls team. I see it. Uh, I, I listened to all my predictions over the summer. Everyone was right, with the exception of the seventh seed, and now that's even in uh, shouting distance. So my brilliance continues to amaze myself um, and, and others, I hope.
1: Well yes definitely yourself but um look I thank you for coming on mate and uh can't wait to listen to you on hot mic tomorrow
0: Sounds good, brother. All right, man. Good, good talking to you, Mark. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. It's always good to talk to you, my friend.
1: You too, my mate. We'll, uh, we'll talk okay. again in 2020. But thank you to Fred for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you for tuning in, Bulls fans, and listening to this one. We'll be back probably, I don't know, maybe later in the week, but we'll certainly be back in 2020. Thank you for being part of Bulls HQ in 2019. And like I said to Fred, hopefully the rest of this season is a little bit more enjoyable. There's a bit more wins coming up. And uh, I think if they can do that against the tougher schedule, that'll be uh, a good way to close the season over over the last sort of next or the next three to four months. So let's see what the Bulls do against tougher opponents here. If they can get it done, then I think uh, we'll all be pleased. But that is just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. As I said, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back very soon. Speak to you all in 2020.
0: Happy new year, Australia. Love you guys. (laughs)